Section 15 of The Princess and Curdie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lizzie Driver. The Princess and Curdie by George MacDonald. Chapters 24 to 25. Chapter 24 The Prophecy. Curdie sat and watched every motion of the sleeping king. All the night, to his ear, the palace lay as quiet as a nursery of healthful children. At sunrise he called the princess. "'How has his majesty slept?' were her first words as she entered the room. "'Quite quietly,' answered Curdie. "'That is, since the doctor was got rid of.' "'How did you manage that?' inquired Irene, and Curdie had to tell all about it. "'How terrible!' she said. "'Did it not startle the king dreadfully?' "'It did, rather. "'I found him getting out of bed, sword in hand.' "'The brave old man!' cried the princess. "'Not so old,' said Curdie, "'as you will soon see. "'He went off again in a minute or so, "'but for a little while he was restless, "'and once, when he lifted his hand, "'it came down on the spikes of his crown.' "'and he half waked. "'But where is the crown?' cried Irene in sudden terror. "'I stroked his hands,' answered Curdie, "'and took the crown from them, "'and ever since he has slept quietly, "'and again and again smiled in his sleep.' "'I have never seen him do that,' said the princess. "'But what have you done with the crown, Curdie?' "'Look,' said Curdie, moving away from the bedside, Irene followed him, and there, in the middle of the floor, she saw a strange sight. Lena lay at full length, fast asleep, her tail stretched out behind her, and her forelegs before her. Between the two paws meeting in front of it, her nose just touching it behind, glowed and flashed the crown, like a nest of the hummingbirds of heaven. Irene gazed and looked up with a smile. "'But what if the thief were to come and she not to wake?' she said. "'Shall I try her?' And as she spoke she stooped toward the crown. "'No, no, no!' cried Curdie, terrified. "'She would frighten you out of your wits. "'I would do it to show you, but she would wake your father. "'You have no conception with what a roar she would spring at my throat. "'But you shall see how lightly she wakes the moment I speak to her. "'Lena!' She was on her feet the same instant, with her great tail sticking out straight behind her, just as it had been lying. "'Good dog,' said the princess, and patted her head. Lena wagged her tail solemnly, like the boom of an anchored sloop. Irene took the crown and laid it where the king would see it when he woke. "'Now, princess,' said Curdie, "'I must leave you for a few minutes. You must bolt the door, please.' "'and not open it to any one. "'Away to the cellar he went with Lena, "'taking care as they passed through the servants' hall "'to get her a good breakfast. "'In about one minute she had eaten what he gave her "'and looked up in his face. "'It was not more she wanted, but work. "'So out of the cellar they went through the passage, "'and Curdie into the dungeon where he pulled up Lena.' "'opened the door, let her out, and shut it again behind her. 
As he reached the door of the king's chamber, Lena was flying out of the gate of Gwynstorm as fast as her mighty legs could carry her. "'What's to come to the wench?' growled the men-servants one to another, when the chambermaid appeared among them the next morning. There was something in her face which they could not understand, and did not like. "'Are we all dirt?' they said. "'What are you thinking about? Have you seen yourself in the glass this morning, miss?' She made no answer. "'Do you want to be treated as you deserve, or will you speak, you hussy?' said the first woman cook. "'I would fain know what right you have to put on a face like that.' "'You won't believe me,' said the girl. "'Of course not. What is it?' "'I must tell you, whether you believe me or not,' she said. "'Of course you must.' "'It is this, then. If you do not repent of your bad ways—' "'You are all going to be punished, all turned out of the palace together.' "'A mighty punishment,' said the butler. "'A good riddance, say I, of the trouble of keeping minxes like you in order. "'And why, pray, should we be turned out? "'What have I to repent of now, your holiness?' "'That you know best yourself,' said the girl. "'A pretty piece of insolence.' "'How should I know, forsooth, what a menial like you has got against me? "'There are people in this house. "'Oh, I'm not blind to their ways. "'But every one for himself, say I. "'Pray, Miss Judgment, who gave you such an impertinent message to His Majesty's household?' "'One who is come to set things right in the King's house.' "'Right, indeed,' cried the butler. But that moment the thought came back to him of the roar he had heard in the cellar, and he turned pale and was silent. The steward took it up next. "'A prey, pretty prophetess,' he said, attempting to chuck her under the chin. "'What have I got to repent of?' "'That you know best yourself,' said the girl. "'You have but to look into your books or your heart.' "'Can you tell me, then, what I have to repent of?' said the groom of the chambers. "'That you know best yourself,' said the girl once more. "'The person who told me to tell you said the servants of this house had to repent of thieving and lying and unkindness and drinking, and they will be made to repent of them one way if they don't do it of themselves another.' Then arose a great hubbub. "'for by this time all the servants in the house were gathered about her, "'and all talked together in towering indignation. "'Thieving, indeed!' cried one. "'A pretty word in a house where everything is left lying about in a shameless way, "'tempting poor innocent girls. "'A house where nobody cares for anything, "'or has the least respect to the value of property.' "'I suppose you envy me this brooch of mine,' said another. "'There was just a half-sheet of note-paper about it, not a scrap more.' "'in a drawer that's always open in the writing-table in the study. "'What sort of place is that for a jewel? "'Can you call it stealing to take a thing from such a place as that? "'Nobody cared a straw about it. "'It might as well have been in the dust-hole. "'If it had been locked up, then, to be sure.' "'Drinking?' said the chief porter with a husky laugh. "'And who wouldn't drink when he had the chance? "'Or who would repent it, except that the drink was gone? "'Tell me that, Miss Innocence.' "'Lying?' said a great, coarse footman. "'I suppose you mean when I told you yesterday you were a pretty girl when you didn't pout?' 
Lying, indeed. Tell us something worth repenting of. Lying is the way of Gwintstorm. You should have heard Jabez lying to the cook last night. He wanted a sweetbread for his pup, and pretended it was for the princess. Ha, ha, ha. Unkindness? I wonder who's unkind. Going and listening to any stranger against her fellow servants, and then bringing back his wicked words to trouble them. Said the oldest and worst of the housemaids. One of ourselves, too. Come, you hypocrite. This is all an invention of yours and your young man's, to take your revenge of us because we found you out in a lie last night. Tell true now. Wasn't it the same that stole the loaf and the pie that sent you with the imprudent message? As she said this, she stepped up to the housemaid and gave her, instead of time to answer, a box on the ear that almost threw her down. And whoever could get at her began to push and bustle and pinch and punch her. "'You invite your fate,' she said quietly. "'They fell furiously upon her, "'and drove her from the hall with kicks and blows, "'hustled her along the passage, "'and threw her down the stair to the wine-cellar, "'then locked the door at the top of it "'and went back to their breakfast. "'In the meantime the king and princess "'had had their bread and wine, "'and the princess, with Curdie's help, "'had made the room as tidy as she could.' They were terribly neglected by the servants. And now Curdie set himself to interest and amuse the king, and prevent him from thinking too much, in order that he might the sooner think the better. Presently, at his majesty's request, he began from the beginning, and told everything he could recall of his life, about his father and mother and their cottage on the mountain, of the inside of the mountain and the work there, "'about the goblins and his adventures with them. "'When he came to finding the princess and her nurse "'overtaken by the twilight on the mountain, "'Irene took up her share of the tale, "'and told all about herself to that point, "'and then Curdie took it up again, "'and so they went on, "'each fitting in the part that the other did not know, "'thus keeping the hoop of the story running straight.' and the king listened with wondering and delighted ears, astonished to find what he could so ill comprehend, yet fitting so well together from the lips of two narrators. At last, with the mission given him by the wonderful princess, and his consequent adventures, Curdie brought up the whole tale to the present moment. Then a silence fell, and Irene and Curdie thought the king was asleep. "'but he was far from it. "'He was thinking about many things. "'After a long pause, he said, "'Now, at last, my children, "'I am compelled to believe many things I could not "'and did not yet understand, "'things I used to hear, "'and sometimes see, "'as often as I visited my mother's home. "'Once, for instance, "'I heard my mother say to her father, "'speaking of me, "'He is a good, honest boy.' "'but he will be an old man before he understands.' "'And my grandfather answered, "'Keep up your heart, child. "'My mother will look after him.' "'I thought often of their words, "'and the many strange things besides "'I both heard and saw in that house. "'But by degrees, because I could not understand them, "'I gave up thinking of them. "'And indeed I had almost forgotten them. "'When you, my child, "'talking that day about the Queen Irene and her pigeons,' "'and what you had seen in her garret, "'brought them all back to my mind in a vague mass. 
"'but now they keep coming back to me, one by one, "'every one for itself. "'And I shall just hold my peace and lie here quite still, "'and think about them all till I get well again.' "'What he meant by that they could not quite understand, "'but they saw plainly that already he was better. "'Put away my crown,' he said. "'I am tired of seeing it, "'and have no more any fear of its safety.' They put it away together, withdrew from the bedside, and left him in peace. CHAPTER Twenty Five, THE AVENGERS There was nothing now to be dreaded from Dr. Kelman, but it made Curdie anxious, as the evening drew near, to think that not a soul belonging to the court had been to visit the king, or ask how he did that day. He feared, in some shape or other, a more determined assault— he had provided himself a place in the room to which he might retreat upon approach, and whence he could watch. But not once had he had to betake himself of it. Towards night the king fell asleep. Curdie thought more and more uneasily of the moment when he must again leave them for a little while. Deeper and deeper fell the shadows. No one came to light the lamp. The princess drew her chair close to Curdie. She would rather it were not so dark, she said. She was afraid of something. She could not tell what. Nor could she give any reason for her fear, but that all was so dreadfully still. When it had been dark about an hour, Curdie thought Lena might have returned, and reflected that the sooner he went, the less danger was there of any assault while he was away. There was more risk of his own presence being discovered, no doubt. "'but things were now drawing to a crisis, and it must be run. "'So, telling the princess to lock all the doors of the bedchamber "'and let no one in, he took his mattock, "'and with here a run, and there a halt under cover, "'gained the door at the head of the cellar stair in safety. "'To his surprise he found it locked, and the key was gone. "'There was no time for deliberation. "'He felt where the lock was, "'and dealt it a tremendous blow with his mattock. "'It needed but a second to dash the door open. "'Someone laid a hand on his arm. "'Who is it?' said Curdie. "'I told you they wouldn't believe me, sir,' said the housemaid. "'I have been here all day.' "'He took her hand and said, "'You're a good, brave girl. "'Now come with me, lest your enemies imprison you again.' He took her to the cellar, locked the door, lighted a bit of candle, gave her a little wine, told her to wait there till he came, and went out the back way. Swiftly he swung himself up into the dungeon. Lena had done her part. The place was swarming with creatures, animal forms wilder and more grotesque than ever ramped in nightmare dream. Close by the hole, waiting his coming, her green eyes piercing the gulf below. Lena had but just laid herself down when he appeared. All about the vault and up the slope of the rubbish heap lay and stood and squatted the forty-nine whose friendship Lena had conquered in the wood. They all came crowding about Curdie. He must get them into the cellar as quickly as ever he could. But when he looked at the size of some of them, he feared it would be a long business to enlarge the hole sufficiently to let them through. 
At it he rushed, hitting vigorously at the edge with his mattock. At the very first blow came a splash from the water beneath. But ere he could heave a third, a creature like a tapir, only that the grasping point of its proboscis was hard as the steel of Curdie's hammer, pushed him gently aside, making room for another creature with a head like a giant club, which it began banging upon the floor with terrible force and noise. After about a minute of this battery, the taper came up again, shoved club-head aside, and putting its own head into the hole, began gnawing at the side of it with the finger of its nose, in such a fashion that the fragments fell in a continuous gravelly shower into the water. In a few minutes the opening was large enough for the biggest creature among them to get through. Next came the difficulty of letting them down. Some were quite light, but half of them were too heavy for the rope, not to say for his arms. The creatures themselves seemed to be puzzling where or how they were to go. One after another of them came up, looked down through the hole, and drew back. Curdie thought that if he let Lena down, perhaps that would suggest something. Possibly they did not see the opening on the other side. He did so, and Lena stood lighting up the entrance of the passage with her gleaming eyes. One by one the creatures looked down again, and one by one they drew back, each standing aside to glance at the next, as if to say, Now you have a look. At last it came to the turn of the serpent with the long body, the four short legs behind, and the little wings before. No sooner had he poked his head through, than he poked it farther through, and farther and farther yet, until there was little more than his legs left in the dungeon. By that time he had got his head and neck well into the passage beside Lena. Then his legs gave a great waddle and spring, and he tumbled himself, far as there was betwixt them, heels over head into the passage. "'That is all very well for you, Mr. Leg Serpent,' thought Curdie to himself. "'But what is to be done with the rest?' He had hardly time to think it, however, before the creature's head appeared again through the floor. He caught hold of the bar of iron to which Curdie's rope was tied, and settling it securely across the narrowest part of the irregular opening, held fast to it with his teeth. It was plain to Curdie, from the universal hardness among them, that they must all, at one time or another, have been creatures of the mines. He saw at once what this one was after. The beast had planted his feet firmly upon the floor of the passage, and stretched his long body up and across the chasm to serve as a bridge for the rest. Curdie mounted instantly upon his neck, threw his arms round him as far as they would go, and slid down in ease and safety, the bridge just bending a little as his weight glided over it. But he thought some of the creatures would try the leg serpent's teeth. One by one the oddities followed, and slid down in safety. When they seemed to be all landed, he counted them. There were but forty-eight. Up the rope again he went, and found one which had been afraid to trust himself to the bridge, and no wonder, for he had neither legs, nor head, nor arms, nor tail. He was just a round thing, about a foot in diameter, with a nose and mouth and eyes on one side of the ball. 
he had made his journey by rolling as swiftly as the fleetest of them could run. The back of the leg-serpent not being flat, he could not quite trust himself to roll straight and not drop into the gulf. Curdie took him in his arms, and the moment he looked down through the hole, the bridge made itself again, and he slid into the passage in safety, with bald body in his bosom. He ran first to the cellar to warn the girl not to be frightened at the avengers of wickedness. Then he called to Lena to bring in her friends. One after another they came trooping in, till the cellar seemed full of them. The housemaid regarded them without fear. "'Sir,' she said, "'there is one of the pages I don't take to be a bad fellow.' "'Then keep him near you,' said Curdie. "'And now can you show me a way to the king's chamber, "'not through the servants' hall?' "'There is a way through the chamber of the colonel of the guard,' "'she answered. "'But he is ill and in bed.' "'Take me that way,' said Curdie. "'By many ups and downs and windings and turnings, "'she brought him to a dimly lighted room, "'where lay an elderly man asleep. "'His arm was outside the coverlid.' "'and Curdie gave his hand a hurried grasp as he went by. "'His heart beat for joy, "'for he had found a good, honest human hand. "'I suppose that is why he is ill,' he said to himself. "'It was now close upon supper-time, "'and when the girl stopped at the door of the king's chamber, "'he told her to go, and give the servants one warning more. "'Say the messenger sent you,' he said. "'I will be with you very soon.' "'The king was still asleep. "'Curdie talked to the princess for a few minutes, "'told her not to be frightened whatever noises she heard, "'only to keep the door locked till he came, and left her. "'End of section 15